The Spiel is sponsored by TimeWellSpent.org. Who would like to remind you that any time spent playing games is time well spent. From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 34, Bullet Barons. So hi there and welcome to The Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. And we are back from our well-deserved <laughs> Back vacation. with a vengeance. We, had, we took an episode off here in July, a little summer vacation. And as Dave just said, I think we needed to do an episode just to get some rest. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we play hard. Oh, God. <laughs> well, see, I know that there was um, casinos involved. Yes. Theme parks involved. Wineries. Many wineries. <laughs> there was a Formula Day tournament. Yeah, which Dave won. The 10th annual Formula Day tournament that Dave and I started. Finally, one of the it two of us. It only took never me, won. only took a decade before I finally won. <laughs> he has the jeweled <laughs> steering wheel now for a whole year. Congratulations. I'm glad one of the two of us could actually win. Yeah, exactly. well, was, you'll be next year. <laughs> I was hoping you'd go for the steering wheel and I'd get the hubcap. You know, it'd be nice. Book in book the in. Excellent. I, exactly. I failed on that account too though and okay. then we had the pirate forget party, the pirate party which uh, we had that a lot of fun a little playing crazy pirate games pretty awesome but whew, we are back and and ready for action here with a, a normal episode i know everybody's I'm... probably like are they ever going to just play games again <laughs> exactly games what the hell are those <laughs> after the spiel this yaris and then the exactly. origins episode of course we're not going to let you rest too much because we've got the gen con jump straight to the gen con after right. this one so but... you have to you'll have to forgive us for this episode because we've most likely forgotten <laughs> forgotten everything it's that like, we do what is this thing called podcasting <laughs> and where's the record button exactly <laughs> but we're going to give it a go here we've got some uh, we've got Kablamo and um, Industria Industria coming up in the exactly. list and uh, some, some exciting Gen Con related ex- news it's going to be very cool should be pretty dang cool and and of course uh, all the other segments all the stuff that you, that you know used to Sneaking in an OCD this, yeah, this episode, right. No, right? no game sommelier, but we've got uh, notes from the obsessive collector's desk uh, coming up with Dave, so that should be fun. That's cool. Well, let's just uh, jump right in and see how much we can uh, screw this up. Game news and notes. Well, welcome to News and Notes, everybody. It's been a little while, but we've got some kind of normal news and notes and then some hopefully exciting yeah. news. So we'll start off with the more normal stuff. We're going to talk about a game that uh, Stephen and I discovered at Origins, kind of towards the tail end, and I don't think we gave it a lot of love in our Origins episode. Actually, none. So <laughs> that would be none. <laughs> so the game is Walk the Plank. Perfect for our pirate-themed oh, party. It was excellent. And we broke it out <laughs> Exactly. pirate party. It was published this year by Green Ronin Publishing. It's designed by Brian Hess and Evan Sass. It's for three to nine players, ages eight and up. List for $15. You can find it online for about 12 bucks. So in Walk the Plank, you're a pirate on a ship without a captain. Of course, who better to wear the captain's hat than you? course we all want to be the captain so to become the captain you're obviously going to be trying to make the rest of the players walk the plank how awesome is that (laughs) 
Oh, and let me stop. Anybody who's counting how many times I say awesome, that was one. <laughs> yeah. As a side note, we ran into, let's see, it was awesome or cool. Yeah. Uh, listeners who uh, made a game out of counting the number of times Dave said awesome or cool. Yeah. So Obviously if you're I... playing the Spiel drinking game at home, you're going to be hammered by the list or, exactly. or the end of... Uh... Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, back to Walk the Play. Well, I have a kind of a limited vocabulary, but... <laughs> So um, the cool part about Walk the Plank that basically you all know how to play this game already because it's very simple. Um, it's much similar to a classic Trump style or trick taking game like what Heart Spades, Bridge, Euchre, Euchre, all those kind of things. What sets it apart is it's very fast, ridiculously. It fast. plays. You can play up to seven hands, but some games can end in the first hand. It's insane. So you deal out seven cards and you play it just like any Trump style game. You have two objects each hand. The first object is take a trick. Take at least one trick because if you don't take a trick, you're walking the plank and you're out of the game. If you take a trick, then you can try to be the player that takes the most tricks so you can become the captain. The captain gets to choose Trump for the next hand. Cool. There's like sea monsters. There's walk the plank cards that are wild. All the suits are these crazy peg legs and hooks and parrots. It is just so simple. I can't believe somebody didn't think of this earlier. Very light, but, but yeah. very fun and nice little variation. If you know if you know a Trump style game and you have a lot of non gamer friends who know Trump games, this would be so easy to pull out. Right, and we got to play it with nine people at the party. It, it worked really well for nine well. people. It was. I think the, our game was like three hands long. <laughs> yeah, and everybody was out. Yeah, there. <laughs> I think our whole end of the table, the ship was listing <laughs> to one side exactly. after because the entire side just went it was like just swoosh. got wiped out in a heartbeat. It was <laughs> so if you like trick taking games, you know. Like like pirate theme games, definitely check out this salty dog. <laughs> so my news and notes has to do with Gen Con that is coming up here. We obviously, this is our episode where we have our chance to actually tell you what we have planned for Gen Con and stuff we have going on there. Um, the biggest news that's just as cool as can be that I can't believe we managed to pull off and pull together here is that on August 17th, which is the Friday of Gen Con, we are sponsoring, or we're having an event that is sponsored by Rio Grande Games. We're working with Jay Tummelson and Rio Grande Games. Um, unfortunately, Rio is not going to be at Gen Con at the trade show in the dealer's room with a booth. And just through my discussions with Jay, we discovered this, and we said, well, you know, that's a real... That's a crying shame. That yeah, I, I know tons gonna... of people that look forward to that very thing as like one of the big things to do when they go to Gen Con. So I thought, well, you know, Jay, we were trying to have something for our listeners or just you know fans of games in general to do at Gen Con that would be kind of a special event. And so Jay was like, well, maybe we should do something together. So we came up with this idea. I I don't even I haven't passed this name by Dave yet, but I was thinking of calling it like the Spielathon <laughs> or <laughs> something perfect. something like that. So it's going to be like I said, Friday, August seventeenth. It's going to run from seven p.m. to midnight at the Omni Hotel, which is adjacent to the convention center at Gen Con. It's going to be in the Fisher. B room, which is one of the bigger, not a ballroom, but sort of one of their okay. bigger meeting room styles is going to be full of tables with games, and they're all going to be Rio Grande games. And this is going to be one of your only places at Gen Con, unfortunately for most people at Gen Con, but fortunate for you because you are listening to the spiel. Uh, you're going to have the chance to come to our event that's going to be running from midnight or from from <laughs> 7 p.m. to midnight. We're going to have all these games set out, and of course, we couldn't just leave it at that. We're going to actually do some sort of wacky contest 
like thing that's going to thread throughout the evening and we're going to be give, giving away prizes all night long. They're going to be dice. There's going to be hats. There's going to be t-shirts. And of course, there's, there's going to be, be free games, free games that we're going to give away. Rio Grande games, of course. Exactly. Rio's helping foot the bill for this hotel room that we're renting out. Uh, it's going to be a blast. I just can't yeah, wait. So it's, you know, come one, come all. We hope that as many listeners that are planning on attending Gen Con that listen to the spiel will show up. But we're also getting the word out through Jay and through his right. sort of network that anybody who's interested in Rio. So it's not exclusive to the spiel people. Exactly. And I think it's important to let everybody know that um, Jay's going to have that room open yes. from 10 in the morning till we start at 7 yes. for open gaming just to learn his game. So that's going to be the only time during the con if you're not at attending the little Spiel Rio that's contest be, thing. That's the only time anybody's going to have a chance to test out his games. I think I think just in talking to him, he may have worked out something with the open gaming people oh, too, okay. but it's going to okay. be less formal. I okay. think there just may be some games available in the open game room, okay. but I think from my understanding, and I could be a little off, he's going to have some of his demo people there with all the games out during the day on Friday, so you can actually come. There's probably going to be more games there than you could possibly play, right. even during our event You know, that's going to cool. last five hours, so you could even just come and park out at 10 a.m., play all day, go get a little dinner, and then come back and join us for the, the goofiness that will be there. Exactly. Unfortunately, Dave is going to have to work. He, it's killing him uh, yeah. for part of it. I'll be there the whole time, but Dave's going to tro uh, troll uh, in late in the I'll, evening. I'll come in at the end just to award the prizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, we're going to be there you know, at Gen Con for the whole four days. I'll be there for most of it. Like we said, Dave's unfortunately going to be in and out because of his darn rehearsal schedule uh, at the theater. Jobs. <laughs> Who needs them? Yeah. Um, so that's the big announcement. The second announcement is that we're going to be participating in at least one a seminar slash discussion panel. It's going to be at three o'clock on that Friday, and it's called the Game Review. I don't. They haven't listed the the room numbers yet, so I can't tell you what room. But if you're coming to Gen Con, just look in the little program book, and you'll figure out which room it's going to be in. But it's going to be about how we, you know, what our process is in playing and trying to come up with our reviews for the games. Uh, there's a whole podcasting track of, of panels, not just yeah, like one right, at Origins. There's several there's of like, them. I, I think there's double digits. There might even be 10 different podcast panels that people can participate in, and that's going to be really... Really interesting, I think. Yeah, and, and coming coming to this one and listen to us try to explain or make sense <laughs> of, of how we uh, describe the game should be rather humorous. Yeah, yeah, that might the mystery <laughs> being revealed might not be a pleasant thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so on Saturday from seven to nine p.m., I'm going to be at the Game Podcasters Party. Now this is an event that's hosted by Paul Tevis of Have Games Will Travel, and it's basically his idea was to get as many of the podcasters as possible that are going to be at Gen Con in one place at one time. So all the people who might be listening to all these different podcasts can intermingle with each other and also talk with us. So it's basically going to just be like a freeform cocktail party, just informal, come by and shoot the breeze for a couple hours. It's going to be at the Hyatt, which is right across the street from the convention center. And I'm looking forward to seeing a uh, a lot of people. Last year, I guess, the room they got was way too small for the people who showed up. So I have no idea how many people are going to show up at this, but it should be a really fun event. And thanks to Paul for uh, for putting it all together. 
Um, so that'll be on Saturday. Lastly, um, we're going to be available throughout the whole con. So if you see us in our spiel shirts at any time, feel free to come up and say hi. We're just dorks with microphones. So uh, we're happy to talk to you at any point. We're hoping to get some late night gaming going once we're kind of done doing the interviews and things during the day. Uh, so we might not be as available to sit down and play during the day. But if at any point you see us and uh, you come up to us and say, truckloads of goober, you might just find yourself getting a special prize. So uh, you might want to think about that. If you, if you spot us out in the crowds, you might just win yourself something pretty cool. I'm hoping to see a lot of you there, and we're looking forward to it. Counting the days down, it's coming up soon. So there's there's my news and notes. We have one last little item. Um, I'm going to toss that back to you with Name That Game. We have an, a winner to announce and a reminder. Aha. So who was the winner? Well, of course. Who else could it be? <laughs> Mr. Puzzle Solver himself, Carlos Hernandez. <laughs> yes. We actually had two winners. Simon Wilcock was the second second winner. Um, yeah, the thing that cracked me up is we went out of our way to find a harder puzzle, <laughs> and we thought this was going to absolutely take forever, and Carlos just logged on, downloaded, listened, and had it answer in, what, three or four hours. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely insane. After we trashed him at every puzzle right. game yeah. possible yeah. at Origins, we actually met Carlos at Origins, and he was like, really, I'm good at puzzles. <laughs> and then he, he proved it. Yeah, Absol oh, my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> So if everybody remembers the puzzle, um, it was just a simple statement that said, apparently, everyone has his standards. The 19th hermit threw out the last of the moldy cheese. With goofy voices. With, yeah, very strange goofy voices. And a rap. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about that oh, rap. Man, yeah. <laughs> I'm forgetting that, that that ever happened. So I suppose you guys would maybe like to know the answer to this. <laughs> yeah, you let, let us have it. Since I Mark sent me this puzzle and I had to cry mercy and say, okay, Mark, just give me the darn answer because I can't figure it out. So I got stumped just like everybody else. What so, is it? Here goes. So the 19th represents the 19th letter of the alphabet, which is S. The hermit is a crab. So we've got S plus a crab. And then throughout the last of the moldy cheese would be blue cheese dropping the U. So you could put the S, the crab, and the BLE together, and you get Scrabble. Double. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> now, this kind of clue is actually called a cryptic crossword exactly. puzzle clue. Um, they're very popular in Great Britain, and they're certainly popular over here in the States as well. But they make your brain do all sorts of oh. gymnastics that they're not normally you're not normally used to doing. But you might keep that in mind in some future puzzles because we've got. Yeah, some we're not ruling out the possibility of these coming back to haunt yeah, you. Yeah, Mark, Mark <laughs> has become our puzzle maven and is already got some really good ones coming up so um congratulations to carlos and to simon because we had multiple prizes so we kind of split them up since carlos had already won the name that game once we he didn't want another copy of rage so we we granted that boon to the second correct guesser exactly. who was simon um so the the reminder is there will be a name that game this week but it's little, changing a little exactly. bit we couldn't have it stay the same that'd be too easy <laughs> so name that game now is going to be sponsored by time well spent instead of them having sort of their separate little contest when within the body of the episode they're actually going to sponsor name that game so the prize 
primo prize this week uh, for Name That Game is a copy of Jenseits von Theben. Awesome. I can hear everybody going, Whoa? What? Excuse me? What? <laughs> Getting really interested in uh, Name That Game suddenly. The other change is that we're not going to make it first come, first serve anymore. Since the puzzles are ramping up a little, we thought we'd have a little pity on you and we want more <laughs> people to participate. So... Just like our other contests, they're going to run the full two weeks in between our episodes. You've got all that time to think about and come up with an answer or curse our names for <laughs> taking all your free time. <laughs> exactly. So if, if you have a guess, still send us an email with name that game as, a, um, as the subject so we know which emails to you know take care of for that. And we will send you off a, the appropriate answer, whether you were jamming and got it right or whether you were a complete loser and didn't have a clue. <laughs> we, we'll let you know. Yep. But uh, you'll have more opportunities to guess, but don't expect the puzzles to get easier because no. we've got Mark on our side. And maybe even uh, we, we we got a nice one from Carlos, too. And I right. think we should open up the gate. You know, if people have good puzzles with the the ideas, you know, the answer just has to be the name of a game. Heck, send us the puzzles. Exactly. It's Stephen at thespiel.net. Or Dave at thespiel.net. And we'll make this just, you know, everybody, we can have people send an hate mail to, to you instead yeah. of us going, man, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you want to participate in that way and you're a good puzzler send us some puzzles we'll we'll include them here as soon as we can the list over a decade ago we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection each week on the spiel we play one or two games off our unplayed list the list started over 100 and has been as low as 30 but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end after all Life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So, the first game on the list. We're back to the list, finally. Uh, <laughs> get to cross a few boy, off. Boy, did we need to cross some oh off. Oh my gosh, Shoot. yeah, after Origins especially. So the first game is Kablamo. It came out in 2004. Christopher Kramer is the designer and Gigantoscope is the uh, publisher. I think it's a Swedish company. Okay. Um, two to five players, 15 to 20 minutes tops. This game's really fast. Uh, 18 to $20 online. You can generally find it for around that price. So this game is, is Russian roulette in board game form. <laughs> Don't try this with real guns, kids, but it's fine to play with little cardboard chits and, uh, and boards. Um, it's just as the as the name would imply. You're playing Russian roulette with as you know as few as one other person and as many as four other people, and it's last man standing. The other people are going to get kablamoed and knocked out of the game. Um, um, the coolest part about this game uh, is the components just are really up to the task in terms of giving you the flavor of the whole Russian roulette theme. So I'm going to go into those and then give you kind of an overview of the, the gameplay. So um, there are five revolvers. Each person's going to get a little revolver board. Um, it's a board with a revolving gun cylinder that's attached. Now there are circular chambers in the cylinder that are going to hold the bullets, which are little circular cardboard chits. Um, that will be drawn from the bullet bag. Um, the cylinder, however, rotates on the board towards the hammer of the gun, and whatever bullet comes up into the hammer is what's going to happen. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, there's one safe position that's marked on the board, too, and that's the only bullet that other players can't mess with, and that's the bullet that's getting ready to go into the hammer on the very next rotation of your gun. 
Um, so there's your revolver. Really cool, nice big boards. Each person has one. Um, then there are the bullets. There are 20 live bullets, which are yellow, and say kablamo on them. And that's, <laughs> you know you're out of the game if you get kablamoed. If that comes up under your hammer, you're out. 67 action bullets. Um, these are white bullets. Um, and they have 13 different actions on them that allow you to mess with the bullets in your gun, in your opponent's. I'll do all sorts of wacky, chaotic things to the guns and, and rearranging the, the makeup of the revolver's contents. Um, lastly, there are 13 high-velocity bullets that are red, and these are 13 unique bullets that you can play directly from your hand of bullets rather than having to put them in the gun in order for them to actually come up and be useful in the game. And they're really powerful and do all sorts of things like even redirect the target <laughs> of the bullet. You think you're going to get shot? Oh, no, I just pull my gun and shoot you instead at the last second, <laughs> which are just, it's great to have rules breakers like that and just add an element of chaos. And, and you have a bullet bag, so that's your, your components. Gameplay, for the rules being as long as they are, the gameplay is actually very simple. The, the rules go into great detail. Like six pages of rules. Makes the game seem very intimidating, but when you break it down, I like how they break it down into like the six R's of, right, right. of uh, Kablamo. Exactly. So you have rotate, reveal, resolve, repeat, replace, and re reload. <laughs> so we're going to run through those really quickly here. At the beginning, you're going to get eight bullets um, of the game. In the, to begin the game. After looking at your hand of bullets, you're going to decide which of those six bullets to place into your gun, and the other two are going to be your hand. The thing to keep in mind is once you've put a bullet in your gun, you cannot look at it. It is in there, and you just have to hope you remember, because there are enough kablamos, you're almost always going to get one, and you're almost always going to have to put one in your gun to start out with, and you're like, of course you're going to put it as far around to start out with as possible, but whenever all the bullet swapping gets going... It's going to take some mental effort to remember which uh, yeah. which spot has the kablamo in it, or you might be out in the first <laughs> rotation of your gun as Jason was, I think. Yeah. Or maybe, I think he lasted a couple, but he was out really yeah. quickly when we played. Um, so that's basically the setup. You're going to get eight, you choose six, you put them in. You can look at your hand, the two that are left, but once you've set up your gun, you can't look at those bullets. You just have to hope you've set it up correctly. So... First thing is rotate, pretty simple. You just rotate the gun cylinder clockwise one chamber so that a new bullet comes into the hammer position. Reveal is flipping the, the uh, bullet over to see what happens. Um, resolving, the bullet tokens have ti little timing numbers on them and the lowest timing number is gonna get to resolve first, then the next lowest and so on. If you get a kablamo, you're knocked out of the game immediately unless you have one of those red rules breaker, the uh, high velocity bullets. I think there's only maybe one in right. there that can save you at it the last minute. In general, if kablamo makes it to the hammer, you're, you're out. done. You're done. It's, it would take a miracle for you to get <laughs> saved out of that spot. Um, but the action bullets, like I said, allow you to mess with things which may or may not help you, just depending upon the <laughs> setup of the board, depending upon your memory and the position of the bullets that are on the board. So that's resolution. So we've got rotate, reveal, resolve. Now, repeat only happens sometimes. Some of the actions may actually let you fire a second bullet in the turn, in which case you just do those first three again. You rotate, you reveal, and you resolve. That action may or may not happen. Lastly, after you resolved all the bullets, if you're left in the game, that is, <laughs> um, you replace any empty chambers with bullets from your, your hand. So you're going to take wherever you have empty spots and take the ones that you looked at, 
hopefully remember them and put them in your gun and go on to the next turn. Um, you're going to draw, actually, replacing, you're going to draw cards. I got them kind of mixed up. Replacing and reloading. Replacing is drawing tiles or bullet chits for as many as you have empty spots, and then reloading is placing them in the guns. I kind of mooshed those all into one <laughs> That's big kind of thing. how it plays out. But that's out. how it plays out. Right. You know, they, they sort of do them as separate phases, but it's really just rotate your gun, flip your thing, see what it does, get some more bullets, put them in your gun, and you go again. Exactly. And it's, that's pretty much as fast as it, as it goes. Um, there's just a couple things to keep in mind with this game that aren't explicit when you kind of play through that we did have to go back to the rules a few times, and you could see why there were six pages right. of rules <laughs> with examples. So one is that the owner of the revolver always controls the effect of bullets that are fired from it. No one else controls that. Um, if the action bullet that you flip says load, then you get to look at the bullet that you're loading before you actually put it in the gun, whether it's your gun or someone else. If the action bullet says swap, then you don't get to look. It's just, I'm going to take that bullet there and slide it over to you and you're going to do the same and you don't get to look. That is not made very, I mean, <laughs> you have to look pretty deep to make sure that, of that distinction. And that's an important right, distinction definitely. to make. Um, actions that don't state when they occur happen instantly. Um, some actions effects are delayed, in which case you just kind of put the bullet on your little gun because that action is associated with the gun, not you, the player. Exactly. So there are things that will actually let you switch like guns, guns. <laughs> in the course of the thing. So that's important to remember. I mean, if an action can't be used for some reason, then it's just a dud bullet and nothing happens. Um, active bullets, the bullets that have been flipped over, cannot be moved to a different gun. So you're going to have to resolve that action in some way, shape, or form before you go on to the next thing. And remember, no peeking at the bullets once they're in your gun. <laughs> That's a really important thing because you're going to want to do oh, it big time. <laughs> once the game starts. Um, there's no hand limit for the spare number of bullets that you can have, so you could accumulate a lot through different actions, and that, that would be a good thing, because you, you might be able to hold a few of those kablamos in your hand before you actually have to put them into your gun. And lastly, they actually include a couple variants. They have right. a, a social, a more social version of the game where you can kind of see your bullets in a more visual way because each person has kind of a visually distinctive different kind of bullet. There's a hardcore strategy one which removes the, the chaotic red bullets. And then there's Mulliganovsky, <laughs> which gives you kind of a, a do-over, exactly. <laughs> which is kind of cool, where you get to draw uh, more bullets from the bag to begin with if you get, you know, seven kablamos yeah. on yeah. your first pull. Um, I had a blast. <laughs> no pun yeah, intended exactly. with this one. I thought it was just a really nice crossover between uh, a game that really is light and easy to understand for people who might not be so much into games, but yet still has that gamerly feel to it. Um, and it scales up nicely. I mean, this would be, we played with, I think, only three people. Right. That was the the only two knocks I, I could have is I think the more people, the more the fun more the this, would, this game would be. Although I could see if you had two people, it could you could have... It would be a little more strategic <laughs> Absolutely. and really fast, yep. but it, it could be fun as well. My only real knock on the game is the uh, the rules, the, the action bullets themselves not being as clear in some cases right. and us basically having to sit with the rules open-faced on very many cases to try to parse out what the action... Once you actually understood what the bullet do 
did, I don't think you have to go back to them again. Once you've played through it once or twice, you know, and it plays so fast, you're going to remember what each of those does and the timing issues. But they could, I think they could have worded a few of those a little more specifically. On the bullet itself, so you didn't have to reference the rules all the time. Absolutely. Um, But what what were your opinions on Kablamo? I I liked it a lot. The the crazy thing was, this is kind of like... The three-card Monty with six <laughs> bullets just trying to keep track of where those damn bullets are. Every time you play an action, it's like, well, this one's getting switched over there. It's getting traded over there. This You're like, ah, where did that Kablamo go? I know I had it in the fourth position, but now I have no idea where it's at. So you're trying to figure out what actions to play, and you really don't even remember where your damn bullets are. <laughs> it, it's just insane. The most evil one to me was you'd finally go, okay, I think I know where everything is. And then somebody gets that action that lets them just rotate <laughs> your your chamber, just kind of basically spin your chamber. Exactly. You're like, crap, uh, I knew where things were, and now I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. I knew I was in trouble as soon as it involved memory. <laughs> but, it, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was. It just it does a real good job of um, eliciting the emotions you would expect if you were, oh no, what's coming up in the hammer next? You flip it over, it's like, kablamo! Oh, man. The sense of tension is there immediately from turn one and just doesn't let up. And that's it's cool that they were able to cultivate that into the mechanics of the rule in a way that... uh, the theme and the mechanics come together in a nice, nicely meshed way instead of it just being a cool theme right. and the game isn't up to the task. I think that it they did a good job of, of bringing both those up to the same playing field. Yeah, it was a hoot. And for the for the price, you know, I mean... It's, yeah, it's really, yeah, the, really like, affordable. Like you for said, the, the Goober was really cool because the, the little chamber pieces that are in two or three sections that spin are pretty chunky. It's going to be you know? a very... Uh, it's, it's going to be... Um, uh, unique piece of goober that you're going to have in your collection you're not going to you're going to pull this game out and people are going to be like wow what the heck is that exactly (laughs) so from that standpoint too it's it's a cool game so first game off the list kablamo i would encourage you to check it out especially light light party type games (laughs) cool well that brings us to the second game in the list um we thought it would be kind of interesting since kind of the last regular episode we did where we re- kind of reviewed some games was the Spiel des Jahres. Obviously the winner, Zularetto, designed by Michael Schott. be kind of fun to dig in our list and find a game, another game by Michael Schott that's hmm. not kind of as well known. Right. And we found Industria, a game that definitely kind of flies a little under the radar for everybody. I think so, When yeah. we think of Michael Schott, we think Web of Power, Fist of Dragonstones, obviously now Zularetto. So... We're going to tell you a little bit about Industria. It was published in 2003 by Queen, and then it was republished in an English-language version in 2006 by Rio Grande. It's for three to four players, ages eight and up. List for 35 bucks online. You can find it for 20, 28 bucks. So Industria is an interesting little auction game. You're actually the head of an industrial dynasty. You're going to try and develop your dynasty over the course of five separate eras. In each era, you're going to accumulate factories, raw materials, and technologies. All the way, some of the factories might go all the way from clay pits all the way to the last era where you can build robot factories, <laughs> which is like ultra cool. The object of the game is to be the player with the most points after the last era, which depending upon the number of players you have could be the fourth era or the fifth era. And that we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's take a look at what comes in this game. So first of all, uh, the game board is a pretty interesting interesting game board. I don't consider it, it's more like a score chart. 
You know, it's not really the typical game board where you're moving stuff around and playing stuff. You're just marking things on the board to let you know who did what when. That's a, that's kinda, a very good way of putting it. Kind of thing. It's, it's kind of strange. But the first thing is it shows each of the five eras as a separate row, one above the other. So in a row of era one, it'll show you all the factories that are going to be available in that first era, the raw materials that will be available, and the technologies that are available. In the row underneath that, you'll see everything available coming up in era two, three, four, all the way down to five. And they kind of build chronologically in yeah, time. Yeah, they make sense. So, yeah. you know, you've got the, you know, older technology and the more raw materials at the top leading down to the robots and the more exactly. modern technology. The, the really wacky thing is that the space in each row for raw materials also acts as the space for the era, era track. So there's a counter over the top of this. So at the beginning of the game, you don't see any raw materials available at the bank. And as you progress through the game, as that counter moves down, those raw materials begin to pop up that you can get from the game. You can get them in other ways, but to buy them from the bank itself, it's just just a wacky, wacky mechanic. <laughs> um, the other thing to note on the board itself is there's connections between some of the factories from one era to another era and between some of the technologies. And if you're the one to build these multiple factories that have a connection, they could earn you extra bonus points at the end of the game too. Same thing with the technologies. Um, let's see. Then there's at the very bottom of the track, there's a score track or at the bottom of the board there's a scoring track. Each person gets a little counter that they can keep track of during the game. So let's look at the 60 industry tiles. Those are the pretty much the meat of the game here. There are 12 of these tiles for each of the eras. They each have like a little Roman numeral on the back, so you'll divide them at the beginning of the game. You'll divide them up into little stacks based on era one, two, three, all the way through five. Shuffle those guys up, and you're kind of ready to go. Um, all these are or all the industry industry tiles show the factories, the raw materials, the technologies, the bonus cards, everything that's going to be available to you in this era, just like they were already shown on the board. So they're kind of like a photocopy of everything that you see in front of you. And then they're going to be auctioned off. So if we look real quick at these, there's four different kinds, but they're kind of all the same. They have, if we look at the factory ones, name of the factory, they show the raw material and the money that you're going to have to pay to build this factory. It's also going to show what raw material that factory is going to produce once you've built it. And it's also going to show maybe a bonus symbol and an amount of victory points that you could earn. If you look at the technologies, they're virtually the same. They show the raw material needed to play it and how many points you can win if you do play this. Then you've got raw material um, little tiles. That's pretty simple. It just shows you one raw material. And it also shows a picture of some money because if it's a raw material you don't like, you, you can, can always just flip it. it aside and take some money. So in either way, it's currency. It's either yeah. currency to build or it's currency yeah. to get money. Exactly. So that's great. And then the, the only tile left is the bonus tile. It just has a big symbol on it. Remember I said some of the factories have bonus symbols on them. Um, they may or may not match some of the bonus um, symbols on the tiles that you get. And there's a cost associated with building these too. So that's pretty much all the tiles, four different kinds. They just show what they can earn you and how much they cost. Pretty easy. Um, each person also gets uh, 20 property mark, uh, markers. These are used as you build a factory or as you lay a technology, you'll place your little markers on the board so everybody knows exactly who owns that factory, who controls what technology. That becomes important as you get into the auction and you want to allow or disallow somebody a particular <laughs> factory or technology. Um, so I think, oh, I, I did forget the wooden tailors, which are the <laughs> currency of the game, and they come in two different denominations. I keep wanting to say thaler. Yeah. And from, is it Bonanza? Oh, are right. Are those thalers? 
Uh, or am I insane? I think you're insane. Cool. But... I expected to be insane, but <laughs> that goes without saying. So now that you know what the components are, let's take a quick peek at just one game turn, which actually goes pretty darn quick. So the first thing that happens is you've got um, a distribution of earnings. Start of every round, everybody gets one tailor, which I'm telling you, the money is really hard to get in this game. So yeah. you get, you're really happy every time you get it. So once everybody gets their one tailor, then we're going to turn over some of those tiles from the first era. And we're going to turn over a number of tiles that are equal to the number of people that are playing. In our game, I think we had three of us. So we turned over three tiles. Those are the three tiles that are going to get auctioned off in this first round. The auction is the meat of the game. This is just so wacky. It's cool. If you're a fan of auctions, you probably will want to get this game because it's different than any other auction I've played. So the auctioneer, which is the first player, picks one of the three tiles, and that's the tile that's going to be auctioned off. Starting with the player to the left of the auctioneer, we go around the table one time bidding on this particular tire. tile. When it comes to you, you um, bid amount. You bid a higher amount than the person before you, or you pass. Once you pass, you can't get back in since we're only going once around the table. Um, once it gets back to the auctioneer, the auctioneer is always the last person in line in the auction for a particular tile. He has a couple different options, which are really wacky. The first is, just go ahead and sell it to the highest bidder. So if Steven bought my tile, he said for two, I'll take the two tailors into my hand, he'll get the tile. And then I'll go ahead and auction off another one. Maybe I can sell that one to the highest bidder. This is kind of how I'm going to build an income. But I also have a second option. And that's to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to take this tile for free, <laughs> which is ultra cool. The only problem is you give up your rights to be the auctioneer. So as soon as you take one of these tiles for free, the auctioneer's um, position passes to the left. And now that person gets to be the auctioneer and they have a chance to make some income. Right. So it's really, really wacky. There's a couple strange things. Um, if everybody passes, the auctioneer has to take the tile, which is a huge strategy that we'll talk about later. Yes, yes. And all the tiles that you win don't get laid in front of you. They go in your hand because the next phase is going to be how you actually play those tiles out of your hand. So if you take one for free, you're only going to get one. But if you buy, you could you could actually buy. If you, you had can, the bankroll, you could actually buy several tiles. If you take the one for free, you're actually still allowed to be in the other auctions. Oh, to you win, are? Oh, okay. I yeah. forgot that. You could, yeah, one person could take all three. You could take the free one, then you could bid on the next okay, one and be I thought, higher I thought you were and high bidder. You... So you're in business. It's just kind of like free form, but you, you cough up the ability to actually make any money this round. Right, uh, this which is important. <laughs> yeah, hugely important. So after we do the uh, little auction, then we get to the building slash lane of tiles. This is done in turn order. You can play one to three tiles. The only limiting factor is that you can only play one of each type. So one factory, one technology, and one bonus tile. You're going to need, obviously, money and raw resources to play these. The money's pretty easy. You know where that comes from. Um, the raw materials are kind of wacky. They come from a myriad of places. They can come from a raw material tile that you've won in an earlier auction. They can come from one of your own factories. Maybe you've built a factory that now produces brick. Anytime you need brick, you have brick all the time in any quantity that you need. So that's pretty awesome. Or it may come from another player's factory. If somebody else is building, uh, has a factory that makes bricks, you just pay them one tailor for every brick that you want. They can't refuse you the transaction, so that's pretty good. The only other weird way to get it is from the bank. You can only buy raw materials from the bank 
if there's not a player currently producing that particular raw material. So it kind of forces you to interact with the other players buying their stuff, if at all possible, before right. you buy from the bank. So there are any brick factories you could buy from the bank. Yep, absolutely. So the technology, there's a couple different um, rules for playing the technologies in the factories. Technologies, they cost raw materials only, and they have to be built within the era, the era that you purchased it. So that's pretty simple. The factories um, can only earn victory points if they're built in the era in which you purchased it. You can build them anytime, but you lose the victory points if you build them outside of the era in which they were purchased. So it kind of, your resources are so limited and they're forcing you to, bam, buy it and build it and do it all like this. And it's really tough. There's time, yeah, timing. Timing of, is. Of how you buy stuff and when you play it is really important. Very, very key in this game. So after everybody's had a chance to build or lay their tiles, then basically we just change the start player. As long as there's still tiles left in the current era that you're in, you just go back to phase number one, earning the money, auctioning off the tiles and playing them again. You continue this way until you run out of tiles. Then you advance to the next era through the next era and finally to the end of the game um, where you'll get all kinds of scoring possibilities. The cool thing to note is building factories in the same era as which you purchased them is the only way to score points during the game. Everything else is scored totally at the end of the game. Completely. So you're trying to set yourself up for this mother load of points. Exactly. Exactly. So the three ways that you can score, first of all, are those bonus tiles we talked about. If you have a bonus tile that has a symbol on it that matches um, the symbol on one or, one or more of your factories, you'll get two, two victory points for each one of those factories. So that's pretty cool. And then the links that we were talking about, the roads from factory to factory that cross from era to era, or the connections between technologies between the eras. For every link where you control um, each side of that link, you're going to get three points for each one of those connections. And that's where you're talking about the map or the board being kind of like a big scoreboard. Exactly. You can see, oh, I need to connect up. You can kind of plan ahead and say, if I get this one, I've got I need steel to plan connected ahead. to the automobile, connected to this. So that's all the connections that I'm going to get to score. Exactly. Ultra cool. And then the very last one is just money. You're going to get one uh, point for every three tailors that you have. So at the end of the game, everybody's going to count up their tailors. Most amount of tailors wins the game. It's a really crazy little game. I think when we were finished, we all kind of just looked at each other and went, hmm, that was wacky. <laughs> you know, I, I think I enjoyed, I really enjoyed playing the game because the um, auction thing was just so freaky. But I, I couldn't help thinking of whether maybe this was designed specifically as a four-player game and just kind of had an out because the, the, uh, the difference between a four-player and a three-player was that you just leave out the fifth era. And when we finished the fourth era, I think we all felt like, why can't we just play the fifth? Yeah. I mean, it, it's there. We left we left points and connections on the board that it just didn't seem to You're make like, sense. Yeah, it kind of just all leads you up going through the different eras and building up through the different levels of progress and the technologies and the factories. And I don't see any reason why you couldn't just play the darn fifth era. Yeah, I you know I it felt anticlimactic to me. Yeah, because being you, able to you're not, leading up to all the you know the, the high cool, tech stuff, and exactly. then you don't actually get to it in the three player game, and it, there just did, didn't seem to be a reason why. Right. So so while this game forces you to to really manage your time and do everything you know in a specific very quickly, and I love the auction thing. Um, I would love to try it again with four players. To yeah. see if, if maybe it was designed specifically for four, and then they kind of just made it out so three people could play it. What would you say to, I mean, to me, the auction, while I think this game came out before Power Grid, 
Oh. It certainly is reminiscent to me of of the way the little auction thing. It's it not. Does, exa- it, I'm not trying to say it's no, exactly no, but the it same, has similarities. But there is a similarity to the way that auction is structured, um, right there. That I kept thinking of that. I remember as we this, were playing the, the auction in Industria can be really cool and it also can be heinously evil <laughs> because your opponents can decide <clears throat> since there's that one rule about. If everybody passes, you just take it. So if we're playing with three people, you know, myself and Stephen and Jason, Stephen and Jason can go, you know what, <laughs> we don't want that. So you'll take it for free, and you'll get no money this round. Yeah. <laughs> that hurts, so you can't, you know, what and you put if he up. And then if Dave wanted something else, he's going to have to shell out his money, yeah, knowing just, that he's not going to get any money coming so in. it almost forces you to put something up for auction that you know people want so that you can get some money to then turn around later and buy something that you want. It's just... It's crazy. It puts it pushes you puts you behind the eight ball right from the beginning. Yeah, which I really like in an auction. Yeah. So that that was ultra cool. Any I, any other wacky thoughts about this game? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of lukewarm on this one. I wasn't. I didn't hate it or anything, but it didn't. Maybe it was just because of the ending and the the fact that it felt like it was building up to something, and right. then we didn't actually get to finish off the payoff. Exactly. Wasn't worth the promise of where we started, that that left me wanting a little more out of it. But I did enjoy that aspect of the, the auction part. That's definitely right. the part that was the most interesting. I just don't know with, I mean, Power Grid, I, I would, you know, it, it's, I don't know that it's the same, but I would think it has that kind of auction element, then it has other mechanics going. The, the, I mean, the auction with Industria is basically it. That's the heart and soul right, of the exactly. game. And, I guess I was wanting a little something more right. from it than just that. And given the choice, I might play Power Grid because it has a bit of that auction element and all these other wacky mechanics as right. well. That, but I could see, I mean, it, it fits in that nice sort of stair step if you're right. wanting it's, something it's, that's a little lighter it's definitely, and it's, it's going to play pretty quickly because this game did not take that long. I thought we no. were thinking it was going to be ugly and, and take a while. Bam. And it was like less than an hour, I think. Yeah, it was pretty with, short. And even the, with rules explanation. The other thing was just, you know, you lay out that big board and you just have this idea of what's going to happen and it's just a much smaller game than it looks when it's set up. You mm-hmm. know, the board basically just being a scorekeeper. It, it was kind of confusing when we first set it up. It's like, well, why do we have that board out there when we're going to lay out all the tiles we play? Mm-hmm. I think it was strictly just for the connections. You know, and that Which stuff. does make it easier visually to right, tell exactly. what's and going on. Half the fun of the game was we had the German version. <laughs> so yes. all all of the factories, <laughs> all the technologies were in German. And I think we made fun just of Ramfart like the whole the whole evening. So Yes, yes. <laughs> the German speakers would be weeping if they were just trying to pronounce all the names. Exactly. But yeah, I, yeah, but I, I wouldn't give this Oh, most awesome game on the planet. Go try this. But if you're a fan of auction games, yes. this is an auction style that I think you would like to try. I think it's it's definitely original. I haven't played any other auctions that are quite exactly like this. Mm-hmm. So it's worth trying. And at the price, as low as oh, 20 bucks. Yeah, that's... You know. There's a, there's a spot for this on lots of people's shelves, I think. Definitely. Cool. Well, so that's the second game off the list, Industria. A couple totally whacked it... Completely different types of games <laughs> yep. off the list, but that's how we like to play them. So. <laughs> yep. so both of these games that we covered off the list are available at timewellspent.org. Um, they have really good prices. Uh, yeah, I think you can get Kablamo at Time Well Spent for 18 bucks. You can get Industria for 20 bucks. 
Those are great prices. I think they're well in the low range, if oh. not the lowest range yeah. you're going to find for most of the online game retailers. Absolutely. This is a good time to remind you, too, that time well spent is more than happy to price match. So if for some reason you find something out there a little lower, then they're going to match that price in a heartbeat. So, you know, if, if these games sound cool... Um, Definitely check out timewellspent.org. They're going to hook you up with with really some of the best deals that you're going to find online. Excellent. Um, we have a little unfinished business here with Time Well Spent and the promotions that we ran from the Origins episode. Right. They did a suggested import contest where you could write into Jared, suggest an obscure imported game that they might not carry because they do a good job of, of carrying different imported games. And the winner... Uh, would win a copy of a, a, a wacky import game, Die Kuchfart zum Teufelsberg. Wow, easy for you to say. Yes. Uh, so the winner of this game is John Barnes of Charlotte, North Carolina. So woohoo! Congratulations, Congratulations, John. Awesome. awesome. Ooh, stereo. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Stereo awesome. Wow. I hope nobody's That's out. two drinks for exactly. the uh, the spiel drinking Woo! game there. Exactly. And I'm sure time well spent. Even though the contest is over, if you've got any suggestions oh, yeah. for whacked out imports, still send them emails. They want to know exactly what you guys want. It helps them out. Yeah. So the thing that I thought we'd maybe talk about for a minute here with Time Well Spent is just how us here at The Spiel and the Time Well Spent, we kind of share a similar philosophy about Absolutely. games. You know, that the lasting fun from games comes from the playing of the game and not the winning. The winning. You can see that from their, you know, their little tagline that any time spent playing games is time well spent. Um, the depth and breadth of the games that they, they carry and stock regularly, you can see that their goal is to get people playing. Families, friends, or new acquaintances. That games are basically a bridge and a way for us to connect or reconnect with people. Right. You know, from old standards or obscure imports, time well spent wants to get you playing by offering good prices on great games and the, the many hours of fun you're going to have that are going to follow from, you know, you're not going to play most of these games and just throw them away. You're going to have them and enjoy them for years to come. Basically, they're cool people running a really cool business. Right. Uh, you know. I, I just think it's ultra cool that, you know, all over their website, you know, they have just little paragraphs that it's obviously that they play these games. Mm -hmm. They play them with their friends and their families and they give you their feeling, you know, what they felt about the game, what what type of people they worked the best with. You Good, know, which bad, is, or indifferent. Exa which is exactly what we do here on the Spiel is to try and hook people up with the most appropriate games for their crowd, you know, or for their friends or for the family. So that's just ultra cool. So, you know, check out timewellspent.org and remember, helping out Time Well Spent helps us out too. Helping our sponsors helps us keep our sponsors and hopefully get get other ones down the road. So thank you to timewellspent.org and check them out. Back Shelf Spotlight. These games need some love and we're going to give it to them. The Back Shelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So, uh, just a reminder, we don't have a Backshelf Spotlight connection contest from the last episode. Since it was the Origins episode, we kind of resolved that already. 
So it's time to just jump in and, and remind everyone that there is a connection between these two games that we're going to discuss this week. And if you're able to guess the mystery connection, you log into the forums at thespiel.net, into the forum for this episode's connection. If you're able to guess, get in our brain and guess that connection, you're going to win a spiffy set of brand new minted uh, Spiel Dice, the second year uh, Spiel Dice. Excellent. Um, so the connection is going to be between Roma and Babel. Two really interesting. They fit in terms of the backshelf spotlight, in terms of the flying under the radar. They're not necessarily old games, but they're games that might not be as popular as some of the other ones in like the two players. What's funny is there's going to be connections that you can think of instantly for these two games. Those aren't it. (laughs) Trust us. (laughs) Excellent. So remember, log into the forums if you have ideas about the connections. The contest is up and going again. So, Dave, go for it. Cool. Well, we'll start off uh, with Roma. Roma was co-published in 2005 by Queen and Rio Grande. It was designed by Stefan Feld. It's for two players, ages 8 and up. List for $25 you can find online for between $15 and $19. Um, also important to note that uh, Roma was on the Spiel des Jahres recommended list in 2006. Oh, okay. So it, it shouldn't have fly, flown underneath the radar, but somehow it did manage that. Feels like it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a quick little look at the story behind Roma. So Rome is in a state of emergency. The Senate and the Guard are at each other's throats, and the people are divided. Of course, you and your opponents will try to use this confusion to seize power for yourselves. (laughs) Awesome. So the object of Roma is kind of twofold. You can win in two different ways. You can run your opponent out of victory points, or if you can make the general stock of victory points run out, at that point, whoever has the most victory points wins. This is kind of cool because you actually start the game with 10 victory points, and then you try like hell to hold on to them any way you can because they start disappearing very quickly. <laughs> Easier than it's, or harder than it seems, I mean. Exactly. So a quick look at this game is it comes with eight card cardboard discs that you're going to lay in between the players. Six of these have a picture of a die on them, and the result of the die on one of them is showing one, another one is two, all the way up through six. These lay in between the players, and then there's another disc that has a picture of money on it, and another disc that has a picture of cards on it. So you've got these eight discs laid out between you. Throughout the game, you'll be playing dice on these discs to activate the cards that are assigned to these discs on your side of the board. Sounds wacky, but it actually plays, you know, very easy. So at the start of the game, there's character cards and there's building cards. Differentiated by the fact that I believe buildings are green and characters are yellow. They have all kinds of crazy, insane abilities that I won't even bother to go into, but they are crazy. At the beginning of the game, you start off with four cards. You go ahead and assign those four cards to one of the six dice, and then you start the first turn. Here's the pain in the butt. On the very, the very first thing that happens on your turn is that you count the number of empty spaces that you have, and you lose that many victory points. So obviously, <laughs> you lose two of your ten right in the very first turn. Yep. It's be like, well, so then it's a race to how can I fill those two spots so, <laughs> so that immediately the next turn I'm not going to lose them. But of course, your opponent's going to be using their cards to attack you from the other side to try and blow your cards out of there to make you lose even more victory points. So it's totally crazy. The main mechanic is in this is that you roll dice on your turn, and whatever the results are on the die dice are, you can assign those to those discs out there. So if I were to roll a five, I can now activate the card that is assigned to the disc that shows the number five. 
And activating the cards can do anything, just tons of insane. different things. So in addition to activating your cards, you're also going to use those dice to um, set on the little disc showing money so you can collect money or on the disc showing cards so you can collect cards. That is pretty much the only way to get money in cards. So it's a fine balance, balance between, oh, I need money because it costs money to play cards, but I don't have cards, so I have to get the cards first, but I have to activate this to be able to do this so I can, ah! <laughs> so it's just an ultra-cool little two-player game that I played it when it first came out, and then I've had a chance in the last couple of months to play it a couple other times, and I forgot how really fun this little game is. Mm-hmm. So I would I would highly recommend this guy. The only tough part are um, there's icons on the cards, nothing but little icons. Some of them are very clear. Others are a little, what does that mean? Yeah. And so you have to refer to the um, list of powers in the thing. Yeah. Once you get through that once, I'd say this is a game that plays much better the third and fourth time once everybody's familiar with all the cards and how they kind of interact with each other. And it's a light enough game that it yeah. doesn't take that much time no, to get and through that first play, I think. Exactly. And once again, we're looking at a mechanic that uses dice in kind of a, a fun little way. Yeah, to me, I, I almost think of it in the same category as Isfahan. Right. It's the, kind of you funky. Know, you have the dice rolling and you're apportioning out the dice in order to be able to do different things on your right. turn. Where in Isfahan, you can only do... The, you know, the one, the with. one thing that's associated with the one thing, the one spot on the board. This one, you kind of have a little. Your options are a little more open, but right. it makes it more painful. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> in a way too. Because <clears throat> well, I would, I would definitely, if if this one was a, is under your radar, give it a second look because it's really cool. And remember, it has some wacky, crazy, evil, or maybe easy connection to Babel. <laughs> Which is, I would say, the most evil of the Cosmos uh, two-player <laughs> games out there yes. to, to date. Uh, so it, it was published in 2000. Uwe Rosenberg and Hagen Dorgothen are the um, designers. Cosmos Rio Grande Games are the publishers. It's a two-player game. This one takes about 45 minutes. This one is a, a bit longer and more strategic than some of the right. Cosmos two-player games. And you can find it online for between 15 and $20 pretty regularly. Um, so the object, as the name would imply with Babel, is you are building giant towers a la the Tower of Babel. You're trying to build the highest and most valuable temple by the end of the game. Um, we'll get to the different ways the game can end <laughs> in a minute. So the components with this game, there are five, there's a board with five temple building sites, one for each of the tribes, 45 temple cards um, with different levels of the temple. So there's 10 level 1 uh, temple cards, nine level two, eight level three, so on, all the way up to level six, where there's only five level six cards. Um, there are 60 tribe cards uh, that are 12, there's 12 of each nation, and there are two uh, player tokens that you're going to be moving around the board. So let's get right into the gameplay. You start with five tribe cards and two of the level one temple cards that hopefully you're going to build onto the board and not get taken or or destroyed by your opponent. Yeah, right. <laughs> so at the beginning of your turn, you're going to draw three more tribe cards into your hand. So you're going to have eight cards. Now, there's several actions that you can do on your turn, and you can take as many of these following actions as you're able to, except for the migration action, which you can only do once per turn. So you can travel, you can settle, you can build temples, you can migrate, or you can use your tribe's special ability. Those are the, the five things that you can do. Traveling, uh, you discard a tribe card to move your player token to the corresponding building space of that tribe on the board. Pretty simple. Settling, you play a tribe card 
to a building site where your token already is. Um, and you can play more than one tribe card if you want. Um, they don't necessarily have to match the, tri the tribe spot that you're at. They just have to be where your guy is. Um, that's settling. Temple building is playing your temple card to a building site. The rules for that are um, they ha you have to build them in numerical order. So it has to be level one, then a level two, then a level three, and so on. Your token has to be at the site, and you have to have tribe cards equal to the height of the temple card that you're going to play. So if you're going to play a level one, you have to have one tribe card. If you're going to play a level two, you have to have two, so on and so forth, all the way up to six. If you're playing a level six, you have to have six tribe cards there. That's how you build your temples. Migration allows you to move tribe cards from one building site to another. But you have to move three tribe cards. They're the last three tribe cards that are laid. You pick those up and you can move them to another spot. Not one, not two, not four, not five. The number shall be three <laughs> and three only uh, that you can move. But, and you can only do that once per turn. Lastly, this is where the game is evil. This, all this sounds very simple and just like boom, boom, boom. You'd play the until. game. Until you get to the tribe abilities. Each tribe has a very cool ability, but it can only be used under certain conditions. You have to have at least three tribe cards played consecutively at one building site. And to use that ability, you have to discard those three tribe cards. So it's a one use only, and then those guys go away. These things are so evil. It, every time you're able to to get some progress in the game, guaranteed your opponent is going to pull out one of these tribe abilities and just, just smack, completely smack you down. So the Assyrians can destroy a temple. Ow. The Hittites can steal one of your temple levels Ow. and just add it to their own. The uh, Medes can emigrate, which is discarding your opponent's tribe cards. Hour. On the board. Uh, <laughs> did you just say hour? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most owliest. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, Sumerians can uh, switch sides. So you, the opponent's top tribe cards that match yours just join yours, just <laughs> which is terrible. Double out. And then the Persians, you can jump a level when you're building a temple. So instead of going one, two, three, you could go one, two, four if you have the four and you don't have the, the three. Um, and then lastly, any tribe has the following ability, which is you can make your opponent discard half their hand rounded down. That's the hourist. <laughs> and then lastly, you're going to build what's called the quarry out of your temple cards off to the side, placing uh, the highest one on the bottom and the lowest one on top. Right, I think I right. got that right. Yep. How to win this game, When you if you have 15 points worth of temples and your opponent has less than 10, then you win instantly. If you don't, if you ever once you get to 15, you've initiated the end game. If someone has 11 and you have 15, then it's a race to 20. If you get to 20 before they can get to um, 20, then you're going to win if your opponent has less than 10. Right. So you have to get to 20 and knock them down to 10. So you're, you're building yourself up by knocking the other person down, basically, in this game. And lastly, the other way the game can end is if you just get rid of all the temple cards. When the last one's drawn, high person wins the game, which I think is usually how the games <laughs> end that, that we play. Um, but this game is just, I know, I think it was Jason and Brigetta who, yeah. like Jason said, Brigetta won't play this game because it's just too evil. Right. And she's like a huge gamer. She'll play Big almost time, yeah. anything. And she was like, man, this game is just too mean. Yeah. I mean, there's a 90% chance that you're going to end up on the couch if you play this with your spouse. <laughs> it's that evil. Unless you let them win. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
but uh, it's a very interesting game. I think it because it is more strategy and it is a little meaner than uh, some of the other Cosmos two-player games. It doesn't get as yeah, much. Certainly attention. no crocodile pool party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely speaking there. So remember, there's a connection between Babel and, and Roma. And log into the forums at thespiel.net and give us your guesses as to what the wacky connection could be between these two games. And we'll just look forward to hearing what you come up with and, and maybe you'll end up with some dice. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components, or a game with really unique components. Now we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. Alright, so we're back on the truck this week for the goober. My turn to pick, and my pick is Arbos. 1999, it was published. Martin Arnold and Armin Mueller were the designers. M&A Spiele is the publisher. It's only available through... It's a German-published game, but I uh, think you can find it um, online uh, from different places. Uh, one to eight players, and it plays in about 30 minutes. This game is basically Jenga in reverse to give you kind of the rundown of the oh, game. Okay. It's a manual dexterity game where players are attempting to place wooden branches and leaves onto the trunk of a tree that wobbles around. If you knock any pieces off, they go into your current pile of leaves and branches, and the first person to get rid of all their pile of leaves and branches is going to win oh, the game. Okay. So very simple to understand game, but it's the goober that makes this game really cool. So the game consists of a, a nice, big, chunky uh, tree trunk with pegs that stick out of it from which you're going to hang the branches and the leaves. Um, they're wooden tube-like branches with holes that you can either fit other branches in or other leaves in to build out this sort of snaky, tentacled, wooden-looking tree uh, from this little base. And then there are thin little wooden leaves uh, that you're going to kind of dot and put on the ends that are obviously the most tricky of the pieces because they're so light and dainty that it's going to be hard to kind of fit them into the different you know slots and, cool. and holes on the trees. And then there's a deck of action cards that you're going to flip over, and that determines how many and what type of things you're you know it's going to say two branches and a leaf okay. or three leaves and that's going to determine what uh what you're going to play on no the no stand on tree. one foot and no okay that would make okay. it that would make it a little better no cavemen <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> either <laughs> but this actually won the 2000 year 2000 kinderspiel this year oh, okay award um arbos but the pieces it just looks beautiful when yeah, it's set it up does. it's got this nice little arching and the tree's going to look different you know, every time you build the thing, it would be one of those games if you didn't have little kids or dogs or cats to eat the pieces that you could almost leave setting out right. just to have it look cool on, you know, your coffee table and just take it apart and play, you know, in two seconds. But just uh, totally... It looks gorgeous. You know, as far as unique pieces, I think you're not going to find many games, as far as, especially in that kind of Jenga category. There are a lot of those little dexterity ones, and this one just jumps out at me as being one of the coolest goober, goober games out mm -hmm. there. So... That's Excellent. Uh, pick. Check out Arbos. Notes from the OCD Obsessive Collector's Desk. 
There are players and there are collectors. Most people are a bit of both. From deals and databases to little plastic bags, you'll find helpful tips and tricks for organizing, protecting, and expanding your collection, whether your game closet has five titles or 500. It's a positive obsession, really. So it is back from not quite the dead. <laughs> it's Notes from the OCD. Thanks for helping us name the Notes from the Obsessive Collector's Desk much better than Collector's Corner. Oh, big, big improvement. <laughs> Especially since I'm sitting across from Mr. OCD himself. If you can see the glasses at the edge of my nose. <laughs> you don't have bifocals yet, but that would, that would seal the, the, the image. <laughs> All right, so um, what do you got for us this time here, Mr. OCD? Well, I would like to say that I came up with this idea, but I did not. Um, our recent trip to Origins actually amazed me. The number of listeners that we met that were like, when the hell are you guys going to do another OCD? And I guess they're kind of right. We promised one, and it's, it's, it's been, been quite some time. It has been a while. What was even wackier is there was several of them that all had the same idea, and they all wanted to know about collecting games in a series. You know, what series do I collect? Why am I collecting a series? How do I go about getting them? All the stuff about games in a series. And who better to answer that question than Mr. <laughs> I'm collecting that series, Colson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to attempt to tell you what I go through when I think about what series to collect and how I go about finding the games. Um, you may or may not find something that's brand new to you. Hopefully, there'll be one tip in here that'll, that'll help everybody. Right. So the first thing I do is once you make a commitment to collect all the games in a, in a particular series, it doesn't make any difference whether that series is 50 years old or whether it actually is still in the process of having new tiles added to it. You have several things that you have to take into consideration before deciding exactly what series to collect. Um, some of the things will be cost. Why are you collecting it? And just how available are these darn games before you actually commit to a particular series? So we'll look at cost first, and cost is going to start off being based on how many titles are in the series. If you're going to collect something with 40 titles in it, it's going to be a heck of a lot more expensive. It's an investment. Exactly, yeah. than something with four or five titles. You know, Or maybe you're going to... F how you have, First of all, you have to assume that you're going to find them all. <laughs> if you're going to start off collecting, you have to assume, I'm think, going to find all think these. Think positive. Exactly. And then go, okay, if I do find all these, that will be... $3,000. Okay, maybe I better find a different series yeah. to collect. So, get, um, get yourself up off the floor exactly. and then go, okay, do I still want to do this? Exactly. I think I'll collect card games. <laughs> but so once you, once you decide the cost that's involved, then that'll help you decide whether to go forth and go ahead and try it. So then we'll move on to why are you collecting them. Are you collecting them because you, you just want to collect games in a series and that sounds cool to you? Or are you actually collecting them because the games in the series themselves sound fun to play? Or maybe you're like myself. I kind of have the collector gene and I like to play them all. Yeah, you got a foot in both camps. <laughs> exactly. So people make fun of me all the time. You know, you just bought that $200 mint condition shrink wrap copy and you're going to open it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> games are meant to be played. Exactly. I. <laughs> I understand the value of a game that's in shrink wrap, but I find the history of a, of a specific copy of a game, who's played it, when it was played, much more interesting and much more important than just, this has been hermetically sealed, nobody's ever touched it. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, that's just me, though. You've got a foot in both camps. I have, I'm, I've got both feet in the player's camp and like a toe in the, in the collector's <laughs> exactly. camp. So I can understand the urge if you really get into something, into wanting, you know, I mean, I'm a collector in that I collect games. 
I guess that's where my toe. Right. <laughs> I guess exactly. that makes me more than just a toe. Maybe a whole foot. Exactly. But I'm definitely not as crazy as you. But I totally understand that. I mean, you want to play these things Absolutely. unless you're just a pure collector. They're meant to be played and enjoyed, not just sit on the shelf and look pretty. Absolutely. So then we get to the final and painful step. Now that you've decided how much you can afford and why the heck you're collecting them, just how available are these titles? Where are you going to find them? What kind of crazy hoops are you going to have to jump through to land yourself <laughs> that final copy of whatever you needed to complete your set? And there's a lot of options. Um, hopefully you're familiar with some of them. You may not familiar, be familiar with others. The first thing I would say is information, information, information. Make sure that you know everything there is to know about that game. Forget about just where it's available. Just learn everything about the game. Who makes the game? Um, is it a German maker? Are there any makers in the United States making it? Is it out of print? Is it ever going to come back in print? Don't just go ahead. You can write emails to the companies. Mm -hmm. You can to the designers. You can go on the geek. I mean, there are so many avenues of which you can inform yourself about the game. Yeah, research. Exactly. It's just sim saying. simple <laughs> research on the game will tell you a lot about the game. And you'll find so many people who are more than willing to help, help you out. Absolutely. Like, specifically if we're talking about the Cosmos <laughs> um, two-player series, that series is insane. They're, they're coming up on 40 titles. And you've got titles um, manufactured by four different companies. You got Cosmos itself. You got Rio Grande. You got Fantasy Flight. And you got Mayfair. <laughs> if you were if you were just introduced to Lost Cities and said, "Hey, this is cool," and didn't do any more research, you're going to be missing half the games in that series. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that the first game in that series was the um, Settlers of Catan, the card game. Yeah, that's what started the series. Yeah, it's not in the same shape box, but technically, it was the first in that series. If you don't have that. You don't have the complete series. So there's all kinds of wacky things that you have to inform yourself about and do some research before you start the thing. So once you've actually found all that out, then where the heck are you going to get it? Um, everybody, the first thing everybody's going to say, eBay, eBay. Yes, you can get these games on eBay. It's kind of scary because the people that are selling them on eBay aren't game, most of the time aren't gamers. So they wouldn't know the difference between a Carcassonne tile and a Mahjong tile. Right. <laughs> They're just selling a game. Now, that's mm -hmm. not always the case. but so You don't know. You just, it, quite frankly, exactly. don't have any way of knowing. So a sure. good place to go is the geek. Yes. I mean, they've got trades and they've got sellers. So you can trade something or you can buy something. Um, sometimes the prices are going to be a little higher, but you're probably going to get exactly what they say you're going to get. There's not going to be any surprises. The likelihood of the person actually being a gamer is <laughs> infinitely yeah, higher. Exactly. If they're participating at Board Game Geek than, than Abs eBay. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of the t a lot of times, uh, once you've decided, you know, whether you're collecting the game to play it or whether you're collecting it to collect it, that'll help you decide of what what game you need as far as does it need to be in mint condition does it need to be complete or it can be you know loved a little bit yeah. you know that's not a problem sometimes i've gone out of my way and i'll go on ebay to find the one that's incomplete but i can see that the picture is a mint condition box hmm. whereas then i'll go somewhere else and i'll find one that an elephant stepped on <laughs> but a gamer is telling me emphatically it has all of the components Right. You know, so it's kind of a mishmash. I might put one copy together from multiple Fine. copies. Yeah, that's a good, exactly. That's a good so tip. that's kind of crazy. Um, conventions. 
huge, whether it's going to be going to the auction or whether in the dealer room, there's always three or four used game dealers in the dealer room. Mm -hmm. Are these going to be kind of pricey? Yes, but you can physically hold it in your hand. You can see whether you're getting, whether it's worth what you're getting, you know, right. what you're going to pay for. Well, it. and that's where the research comes in too. If you know all the parts Absolutely. that are in the game, you could even have a little note card or something going, oh, I can go down my little checklist and make sure that I'm really well after this one and it has everything and know that right. you might I, be willing to pay a little more if you have it in your hand and it's right there and you know it's complete. I remember uh, just a quick story. I was collecting the 3M Bookshelf games. Um, had a list of every game in that series. I have almost all of them and I couldn't get the last one or two. I'm like, how can I not find these darn games? I dig, I dig, I dig and I find out, well, this particular one was never actually released. They just <laughs> kind of made some um, demo or promo copies that snuck out. So if you find one of these, they're like Three or four thousand dollars a piece. You know, this is after I had to start collecting. I'm like, well, okay, I'm never going to finish <laughs> that one if it's technically part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of crazy. Um, other ways to get stuff, um, obviously, are web-based game retailers. Um, fun again and time well spent. Great places to get import games. Yes. Okay. You're not going to find them all there. So the other avenue is to go with actually international. Uh, websites. So actually websites in Germany itself, there are, let's see if I can remember, um, adamspielt.day, magnusspiele.day, and playme.day. Yeah. All great sites to buy game, German games. Without and when, you say, when you're saying .day, it's .de. De, so, sorry. So, so you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, so those are great places. Of course, yes, the shipping is going to be a little more than usual, but Get some friends together, buy a handful of stuff all at once to shipping. alleviate the shipping cost. And surprisingly, the deals, the prices they have on their games are good enough that you're you're going to end up making out, you yeah. know, in the deal. In addition to getting games that you weren't able to find, you know, here at all. So, oh, the one thing I wanted to loop back to the uh -huh. convention thing okay. is auctions. I don't think you mentioned the auction. I said it real quick, and uh, I never explained the, you know, that. That's definitely you know the other way. That's where you're going to find deals. But you have to, you know, you have to really make sure that everything's complete. Sometimes right. there's the auction store. A lot of times the auctioneer will actually say it's complete or incomplete because they right. look through the lot before they put it up for and auction. But for anybody who's not familiar with <clears throat> auctions, um, no, no question is stupid. I yeah, mean, you can yeah. walk up and say, "Can I see the copy of that that you're auctioning off tomorrow at two o'clock?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, or do you have any of these? Can you look through your stuff? I really want this, and they're more than happy to go back and say, "Yeah, we do have two copies of those that will be auctioned off." Or if you walk in, just like Stephen said, and one is up for auction, feel free to walk up to the front of the table where they're getting ready to auction it off and say, "I need to see that." Yeah, because I'm not just going to blindly say I'll pay three thousand dollars for yeah. that. You might if it's two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dollars, not it, thousand. <laughs> exactly. You know, so there are many ways within the auction that you can inform yourself before you just blindly yes. buy. You know, sorry for me to, to loop back, but I no, thought that was cool. an important yeah, little no, very, aside to to include there. Ex exactly. So. Uh, that's kind of pretty much it. I think I collect like six or seven different series. Yeah. Some of them are complete. Some of them are incomplete. Specifically, I remember um, somebody at, at uh, Origins was like, what about the two-player series? Do you have all those? I'm like, well, I have like 30-some of them. <laughs> but here on the tail end of that series, some of the titles have scared me a little more than others. <laughs> They've got like way too many uh, Sudo Sudoku like mm. games or travel versions of other games. One of them is Arena Canizia, though. They, I think both of those are. 
but <laughs> you know you're gonna end yeah, up with the but, don't don't lie. But uh, <laughs> one of the one of the newest ones coming out is Sakura. So oh yeah, that I'm actually looking forward to get. You yeah. know, are you gonna tell them the mammoth mammoth hunter story, or am I? Or am I? You, you tell that. <laughs> so Dave was so obsessive about collecting. Is it the Aaliyah or no? Yes, is it, it's absolutely. the Aaliyah it's big, the box big box series that uh, he got the uh, he got the Mammoth Hunters version that Rio came out with here. And I got this call from. Can you believe it? It doesn't have the number on the side of the box. I can't believe it. <laughs> so he ended up buying another copy of the game. Uh, was it through Jay or I don't even know how. Well, you actually, came up I, with first the... of all, I embarrassed myself because I sent an email to Jay. I'm like, how can you not put the number <laughs> on the side of your box? He's like, oh, I'm just trying to dissociate myself with the series kind of thing. But as it turned out, it became so popular that he put started putting the numbers back on. <laughs> but. Long story short, I had to go to another source to buy an import copy so it would have the stupid number on it. <laughs> so I got I got a, a deal on Dave's, you know, tainted non-number copy <laughs> exactly. of Mammoth Hunters. I was like, well, I'll buy that from you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'll happily give you three dollars for that forty dollar. <laughs> so he's a there. There are some depths to that which to which Dave will go in terms of collecting. You know, the the actual aesthetics of the box. Can I mean you know it's up to you whatever it matters to you in terms of the collection and you know it wasn't complete unless he had not just the game but the game with all the numbers in row on on his shelf because so. they look awesome on the shelf <laughs> exactly so if if I haven't answered if there's any other questions feel free to um, send emails to either Stephen or I yeah we want. and we'll be more than happy to try and answer something that we haven't answered right so far speaking of which i've been sandbagging on uh -oh. you dude so we had some other uh dimitri would would kill me if i didn't didn't come okay. up with his questions cool. here so this is going to be on the fly ocd <laughs> and this will hopefully encourage you to send in some good suggestions okay. for future episodes too so remember it's steven at the spiel.net or dave at the spiel.net and we'll be happy to cover you know we're hoping to get on kind of a regular schedule maybe every fifth episode or fourth episode cool. we're going we're gonna to include the OCD so it's just in the regular lineup so you'll know when to anticipate the next segment of the OCD so here we go Dimitri Blondell from uh, Gainesville Florida he says I'm right I'm looking for tips on how to best store games he's kind of gotten into playing games since listening to the spiel in part so that's awesome very awesome um, so he wants to know one should board games be stored vertically or horizontally what are the pros and cons of each or does it really matter um, and then he'd also like to know about cards. We kind of touched on that in our first one and saying, don't put rubber bands on your cards. But then we don't go on to really give him many alternatives. He was like, I don't want my cards just <laughs> shoved, you know, loose in the box. So you've exactly. got to give me some alternatives. So he just wants to know the different methods for storing cards, bagging, sleeving, card protector, just boxed. Um, so there's, there's the first questions there from Dimitri. Okay. First one I think was storing boxes either um, spined or just laying down. Right. I would always prefer spining them. Um, first of all, they don't have a stack of 20 games on top of them, so you're not smushing the poor little game on the bottom. They're much easier to get to, and they're actually, um, space-wise, you can conserve a, conserve a lot more space if when you purchase your shelves that you're going to store your games on, um, purchase the ones that are really heavy-duty that you can adjust and get a standard size, you know, because there's like only really seven sizes of boxes mm -hmm. in games and say, okay, on this shelf, I'm going to store only this size game, set up your shelf so it fits and go ahead and spine them all in a nice row in there. And you're actually going to save a lot of space by keeping like size boxes together and spining them rather than stacking them. Now, if you were to look at my collection, would you find some games that aren't spined? Yes. 
because it, you know, I mean, unless there's just no way to have them all spined. I do have some laying down, but I try and limit that whenever possible. Yeah, I ran out of shelf space, so I have a giant tower of games stacked <laughs> exactly. on top of each other. But I try to go heaviest right. to lightest and biggest box to lightest box, so at least the weight's distributed right. as it, evenly as exactly. humanly no possible. No Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition on the top of Snorta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Help me! <laughs> and, and the other thing was the cards. Yes. Now we'll kind of tease this because I kind of think that maybe in an upcoming episode okay. we yeah, might really fine. go into this. But if you have a board game and there's some cards in there and they just want to, if you don't put a rubber band around them and you want to go ahead and put them in a slot available, but the second you spine them, they all fall out, I just put them in a plastic baggie. Mm. We talked about before I have several sizes of these. You will be able to find a plastic bag that will allow the cards to still fit in the slot where they're supposed to fit. Mm-hmm. I do something entirely different <laughs> for all my card games that we'll get to on yes, that's, a that's later worthy of a whole separate craziness OCD that we'll talk sure. about. But the quick fix is I just use plastic baggies, you know. And most of the time, like we talked about before, if the stuff doesn't fit, get rid of the insert, still bag them up, and your cards will stay awesome. Sometimes I do put sleeves on games where where the players are specifically holding two, three, four, five cards the entire game, and they're never really letting them out of their hands. I go ahead and sleeve those. So that you know they just don't get worn out. Yeah, that makes cool. sense. Oh, one thing I was going to mention on the spining thing. If you just think of it from a business point of view, they're all meant to be spined on a shelf at a store. Yeah. So that's I mean, absolutely. If you're thinking about it from that point of view, that's the way they're they're going to be out there for you to buy. So they're not stacked on top of each other when you go into stores. They're spined on we'll, the shelf. So that's you know. We'll make an effort, like over the next couple weeks, to get some good pictures of Stephen and I's. Oh, of yeah. collections and sell now shelves. That line is presentable, and, and we'll go ahead and put them up and kind of give you an idea, yeah, you know, of, of how we store our stuff. Pittsburgh terrible. Name that game! Lastly, got one little rapid-fire one okay. here from Matt uh, Doder in St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> he wants to know how a neurotic collector of games such as us handles the essential task of shuffling cards. It has to be done, but how? A machine? That over-the-top style of shuffling where basically chunks of cards are placed on top of each other? He's, you know, concerned about, you know, trashing the cards or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. I got a kick out of this question because I'm just like, I just shuffle. I don't, you know, I don't do anything. I mean, I try not to bend them and, you know, do crazy. Yeah, no you know. bridge or whatever you call that where you really bend them back. Right. I just never do that. If at all possible, convince a friend with the same game to come over yeah, we so you can shuffle their cards and you never have to shuffle yours. <laughs> That's the best thing. When in when in doubt, though, just shuffle them. Don't as, use as, machines. Yeah, machines do, yeah. will nick your cards. They will That's nick the them. They will chew them tip. up. Exactly. And hands are better. <laughs> mucho better. And just shuffle them as easy as you can. Some of the card stocks that are coming out nowadays are so thick, you really can't do the standard shuffle anyway. You just have to do kind of the. I don't even know if there's a name for it, where you just kind of shuffle them. Yeah, entire chunks of, of cards mixed in with the other thing, and you're picking them up real slow. Yeah, there's a magician's name for it. Yeah, I can't, I can't think. The... And sometimes I'll just go what what a friend of mine refers to as the tea berry shuffle, and this <laughs> that's just knock them all down the table, mix them up, collect them back. So a casino blackjack dealer yeah, kind of shuffling. <laughs> exactly. So there's no real good answer for that. It's based on the specific on the type of card that you have. Right. Um, 
but just whatever you do, go gently on them. The first the first time you bend a card in half, that game is kind of hosed because now everybody knows exactly what that card yeah, is. Yeah, but don't but, be afraid to use them. Remember, games are meant to be played. Exactly. Collect them, but play them. Play them, please. <laughs> Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So we have some nicknames to award to two donors to the Spiel cause. Remember, there are buttons over on the, the left-hand side of the website, thespiel.net, where if you want, you can donate to the Spiel cause and make sure we keep, keep the show on the air. So special thanks and appreciation go out to Darren Holdem Haydock of Turlock, California, and Anthony the Whistler Dawson of Wiltshire, United Kingdom. Thank you, Darren and Anthony. means a lot. We appreciate your support, and we are glad that you enjoy the show. On with the mailbag. Okay, time for the mailbag. Time to hear from you guys and what you have to say. Before we get to your emails, we are going to finish up uh, our poll. Of the poll results that we had running on our site for eh, 6, 12, 20 weeks, however long that was. I, I can just imagine people saying, is this poll ever going to end? <laughs> so the question in our last poll was, does the uh, Spiel des Jahres affect your interest your interest in a game that was nominated or that won the actual award. And not surprising, 77% of the people were actually more interested in buying slash playing a game if it had won or been nominated for award. And I think we're the same. You know, we love Euro games, and when something's been nominated, I'm definitely like, oh, well, i got to try that. Yeah, yeah. So 77%, um, 70% couldn't care less. Yeah. <laughs> and that was slightly surprising to me. Yeah. To me, I just figure, you know, there's a certain percentage of people who don't necessarily like or care about Euro games, and obviously they're not really going to care about the Spiel des Jahres if Euro games That's just true. don't float their boat. Now, of course, we hope, preaching the Spiel gospel, that we're going to get you to try a few of these games that you might have otherwise written off. Exactly. Fools that we are. <laughs> we're going to at least hope that you know you might give these things a, a second look. So. so I think the other couple results were fun because <laughs> they were small but fun. Yeah. <laughs> so there was 3% that might play or buy the winner but really don't care about the rest. Mm -hmm. And then... The ones that are gamers, true gamers, 3%, they're going to rush right out, and they're going to buy every single game that's been nominated. We know where Dave voted in this poll, in other words. <laughs> Even though I actually don't have them all yet, but but they were all really cool, so yes. they're worth having. So that was the results of the old poll, which takes us to our new poll. And I figured since we've had an Origins episode and we're coming up on Gen Con here with our next episode, that it would be fun to do a poll related to game conventions since this is sort of the convention season, um, and before we get back to our regularly scheduled spiel. <laughs> so um, the poll is sort of a two-part question for people who had go to cons and people who might not have had the opportunity to go. So if you go to game conventions, what's your favorite activity? Or if you haven't gone to a con, what activity would you look forward to the most? So the choices are demoing new games, finding deals in the de dealer's room, playing in game tournaments, role-playing or live-action uh, role-playing LARPs, um, kind of lump them together, cool. um, after-hours open gaming, one word, costumes, those are separate ones, <laughs> <laughs> or camping out at the game auction. So by no means does this cover every option that's available right. to you at a game convention because there's just so many things to do. But if there's one thing that, you know, that's the reason that, man, I have to do that if I go to this convention, you know, tell us what it is because it would be interesting to see 
all the it's, it's a tough choice i know cuz uh, you know you want to do all these different things but is there one thing that really brings you into the con um, so there's the new poll. It'll be cool. up, and we're interested to see how, how your votes turn out. Exactly. <laughs> On to the mail. Okay, I guess I'll start. Um, just got an email from Dave Shapiro, also known as the last emperor of planet Earth, who, <laughs> if, if everybody remembers, has written us with some way wacky, wacky. emails. Um, this time, not so wacky. Um, very cool. He said he remembers one or both of us actually being smitten with dice. How could you forget? Exactly. So he wrote an article several years ago that kind of just talks about dice, the randomness, the luck, the chaos involved in games, or the supposed chaos that maybe you'd be surprised to find out are not quite as chaotic or crazy as you think, um, or games that you think don't involve any luck or chaos that actually do more than some games that involve dice. Really cool article. I recommend everybody read it. We'll go ahead and put a link in the show very, notes. Very analytical. You, yes. You, he, he presents his argument in a very, very coherent, very step-by-step, builds on top of each other. Exactly. I understood it, and we know I, I struggle <laughs> with addition, and I still understood it. So, <laughs> but very, very cool article. Thank you. Thank you, David. We got a message from Brad Keene from Columbus, Ohio, who we actually met at Origins uh, this year. Pretty cool. We just had a brief chance to talk to him, but he wrote in and wanted us to know about two British dice games. He thought of you, Dave, immediately with these games. He heard about them on a podcast called The Board Gamer, which is another uh, game podcast. And the the games are Dice Words and Colliding Circles. And they're available at grahams-games.co.uk. I'll put the the link in the show notes. Um, But one of them is sort of a scrabbly type uh, dice game. And then the other one is called Colliding Circles. And it comes with... 75 dice. <laughs> yeah, baby. has a nice big board with interlocking circles that you're going to play your dice to. Looks like a really interesting sort of random but strategy but, yeah. type, type game. So you might want to check those out. Uh, thanks to Brad for bringing those to our attention. They're definitely, Very cool. definitely really cool. So um, I want to. we've got a whole bunch of emails that I'm going to kind of lump into one little group <laughs> here. Because after our Origins trips, we got tons of emails from game designers, companies, and listeners. Listeners just thanking us for all the interviews that we did with the smaller press, mm-hmm. like game companies. And that was just... That was really neat to get all the the kind of kudos for you know hooking everybody up with all the information yeah. about Com- the smaller companies game appreciating companies. the exposure and then listeners listeners appreciating knowing about them exactly. <laughs> well, expect more of that with the Gen Con episode exactly. as well as some more maybe play testing demoing. We're going to try to sit down and demo a few things that are new and off the. Yeah, off I know. The shelf I know there thing. was a couple companies that we we had in. Intended to interview, but just didn't work out. Yeah. So those will be coming up for the um, or, or the Gen Con. Episode. I think there was even one on one of the things. It was like, "Hey, why didn't you do us on the board right. game?" It was exactly. like, "I'm sorry, we'll get to you at Gen Con. Right. I promise." <laughs> so that's really cool, and look forward to more of that coming up next episode. Um, David Reed um, writes in with a great idea for uh, the game Somalier. He actually says uh, wants us to do sort of an Iron Somalier, a la the Iron Chef. Excellent uh, thing that that's the cooking competition game show from Japan where you have the Iron Chefs and a challenger comes in and they get a secret ingredient and they have to make you know a meal in within an hour. Well, the, the idea would be to do a listener has to challenge one of us Iron Somaliers with one of our typical challenges, and he even throws in the idea of like maybe you throw in instead of the secret ingredient, you know, the secret thing is they all have to be dice games or <laughs> something like that, but have you know the other person play Chairman Kaga or the listeners. <laughs> 
and vote up or down on the, the, the two lists to determine who will be the whose games will reign supreme. <laughs> I think that has potential craziness written oh, yeah. all over it. He even says, you know, that how fun would that be to do like at a convention or something since we bring our recording equipment. Right, exactly. We might even pull to, the, pull to have that. a small yay event. Yeah. That would be hilarious. <laughs> so we might, you know, we might do a dry run of that at Gen Con. You never know since we'll have yeah, our Yeah, if we can find stuff. some listeners willing to participate, you think we could? I bet. I yeah. bet so. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> but thank you, David. Excellent idea. As always, you guys are way smarter than us and, and help us make the show <laughs> even better with all your awesome suggestions. Um, let's see. Uh, we have, what, one last thing? Yeah. Two, yeah, two yeah. last things, I think. Okay. I only know of one. So okay. I got we'll... one that I just thought of. Okay, well, I'll start with one that you didn't think of that I'm going to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Go. Exactly. So what's really cool is we got an email a few weeks ago that let us know that, obviously, one of our listeners, very kind listener, nominated the Spiel for a Parsec Award. It's an award that's given away at Dragon Con every year, which Dragon Con is in, in, in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. I think this year it's August 31st to September 3rd. So coming up. Um, so we've been nominated for Best Game Podcast. How cool which is, is that? Totally, totally <laughs> cool. So we're not going to actually know for a little while whether, we be, whether we're a finalist or not, but... Uh, I'm not sure how the voting goes, but we appreciate whoever sent in that nomination. Yeah. Excellent. That, that kind of support is just that's yeah. a huge ego boost to us to just know that there are people out there that think we're good enough to even qualify for yeah, an exactly. award. You know, we we do it because we love it, not because we want to win awards. And, exactly. And, you know, that's just icing on the cake. But whoever that was, if you yeah. want to step up and be named, we will give you yeah, credit. Yeah, but it's, it's we really... appreciate the nomination no matter how things go. It was definitely a treat to get that and email. And if we, we do get to the point where we need people voting, we'll let you know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, this is just a total little extra thing that I happen cool. to think of. Cool. You know how we did in Origins the little, I'm so-and-so and I listen to the spiel uh -huh. and we did that live. Well, I was going to open that up to all you listeners out there. If you have the ability to record with your computer and you want to send us a little uh, MP3 or a link to an MP3 to say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I listen to the spiel, we'll try to throw those in you know we're not going to put one you know all of them in one episode <laughs> but we'll parcel them out and you know if you have have the interest it would be fun to see yeah. how worldwide our audience is and get people from all over the globe sending us little uh you know your little promo for the spiel you know you can participate in the show audio wise as well as other that i uh, just wanted to open those doors and see what happens crazy it, it's just an open invitation it doesn't have to be now it can be down the road but if you're if you have any interest in doing that, feel free to send, send us in. a little bitty, you know, keep it small and keep it short to just, hi, I'm so-and-so and, and right. I'm listening, you're not listening a, to not the an spiel. epic or... poem about the spiel. That... <laughs> you can send that too, but we might not include that in the show. <laughs> we reserve the right to edit. <laughs> but I think we've actually made it to the end of, of episode 34 here. Wow. We, I guess we kind of remembered yeah. what we were supposed to do. Yeah, it's kind of like riding the bike. I think we still got the training wheels on, but we remembered most of what we were, <laughs> exactly. we were supposed to do, right? <laughs> well, thanks again to our sponsor, timewellspent.org. We totally appreciate your support, and supporting our sponsors helps us too. So remember, timewellspent.org. So without further ado, I think it's time to put a lid on this episode. Sweet. I'm Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have, have to play. play.
Where did that kablamo 